So for 30 some years of my life, I avoided, resisted, and tried to fix any and all negative emotions, what we would consider negative emotions or bad emotions, uncomfortable emotions with food. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Live Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Aaron. Now, Aaron, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? So for 30 some years of my life, I avoided, resisted, and tried to fix any and all negative emotions, what we would consider negative emotions or bad emotions, uncomfortable emotions with food. (gasps) Yes. So I would overeat. Yeah. I would overindulge. I would sneak food. Mm -hmm. I would hide food. I would lie about food, mm-hmm. all of the things, and most importantly, to myself. Wow. I have to say, like, I'm getting a little hit from, like, I have done those things as well. Like, I was a complete sugar addict, and I would binge, yeah. like, bags of sugar <laughs> when exactly. I was young. So when yeah. did it start? Like, if you could go back, like how far back? Because I want to I want to get to where you realized it was a secret from yourself, of course. But like, when did it like the first thing where you were like, I love food and I'm addicted to food and I use it to not feel my feelings? So I grew up in a Jewish family and I'm only going to speak on my experience live coming from a Jewish family. So this is not all Jewish families. This is my personal experience living in a Jewish family. Mm -hmm. We love food. We have this. And I think a lot of people who grow up in a culture and a community tightly knit, they have relationships. Many cultures have relationships and communities with food. And so we use food to celebrate. We use food to grieve. We use food to congregate. We use food for all different reasons. So food is a big part of my story and my family. So we surrounded our lives around food. So I learned that very, very young. Mm -hmm. And no one ever had the conversation with me as a child. Like, this is great. Food is awesome. It's pleasurable. You get that hit of dopamine. Um, It's fun. It's amazing. But you just need to be aware that it can affect you if you don't understand what you're doing with it in a way that you may gain weight or you may not feel good. You may, you might get a stomach ache or you might want to throw up whatever's happening for you. Um, yeah. And you may not properly be nourishing your body. 
So no one had these conversations of like why food is important. It's fuel. It's also important because it's delicious and it's part of our culture. No one had these conversations. So I just started watching everyone around me and obviously picking up the behaviors of overeating, overindulging. And no one was telling me that this may affect me negatively because they were doing it themselves. However, what they said was, well, you're overweight and this is a problem. So (sighs) let's take you to a doctor. Let's put you on a diet. So you, when were you overweight? Like when did that, when did they say that to you? What age? The earliest age I can remember is eight years old. And I have a daughter now who's eight years old. And I look at her and I was like, I can't imagine ever saying to her, which she's not, but even if she was, you're overweight, you need to go on a diet. It would be like, oh shit, I'm the parent. What am I feeding my kid? What meals am I providing? What um, activities? activities, physical activities are we doing together as a family? Yeah. Instead, it became my problem and my responsibility at eight years old. And um, that was that was a hard pill to swallow. So you know, I felt a lot of shame and I felt like there was something wrong with me and I was not good enough. And looking back at pictures, I wouldn't say I was overweight. I would say my body was changing. And I was also at the same time, never taught the skill set of how to eat in a way that would be ideal for my body to thrive. Now, here's a question I want to ask Okay, but I want to ask you this. And I know both you said both things were going on, but I want to ask you, we always, for me, didn't get taught how to feel feelings, like you said, those Mm. negative feelings. So you turn to food to cope with those negative feelings. Did your family members not deal with their negative feelings? And that's how they coped. So I picked that up as well. So there here you I had go. This love, so I had this love for food mm-hmm. um, that I was just like, it was so great. And then no one ever said, it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be lonely. And food can help you feel better if you want it. But just know that it may not be the most useful, helpful, or necessary way to process your emotions. This is how we do it. Because my parents and my family did not understand that. Yeah. And they struggled with that as well. So from a young age, here I am conflicted. I love food. I've never been taught how to feel a negative emotion. And that's how I got in the shame cycle of, well, now I'm put on a diet. I don't want to do the diet, but I'm doing it. And I'm failing miserably at it. And then I'm being told, you're just not trying hard enough. You're not doing hard enough. And of course, that brings up negative emotion. And what do I go to? Food. So it's this perpetual shame cycle. Stig. Yeah. And here's the thing I want to mention. And and I just, did, did you grow up in like the 80s, early 90s? Okay. So I did I'm too. an 84 baby. I was Yay. born 84. Okay. Yes. So that, I grew up in that time as well. And I have to say that society in a whole was like, go on a diet low fat, all that stuff, you know, and like Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers. Margarine, yes. Yeah, go to margarine and not butter, you know, all those things. And it's like that, I was a skinny kid, like totally skinny, Mm -hmm. but like addicted to sugar and hyperactive. But my sister had that struggle as well. 
And I'm sure mm-hmm. she's fine with me saying it, but we had, my mom was always on a diet. She had Jenny yes. Craig there, Weight Watchers, because her society was telling her and she wasn't feeling her feelings. So she was trying to restrict as well. And that never works. But I just have so, to say that generation seems like it was amplified by it. Oh, it was. It was super amplified by it. And we weren't talking about emotional intelligence no. and well-being. We were not having these conversations. So you ate, you overate because there was something wrong with you. You yeah. liked food or you di- you were addicted to sugar. And it was a problem for me because you could visibly see it. But for someone who still maintained a, a thin body or a lower weight, it's fine. Yeah, and it was that's fine what's with fucked me. Up. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And and they would buy me these sugar free candies that if you eat more than a couple of them, you're like shitting your brains out. First of all, so what I would do instead, oh and here's my secret for the day: I ate Dimatap. You know those grape like cold medicine taps that taste yeah. like candy. I love the taste of them. And one day I ate the entire box. What? Like how dangerous is that? Because they wouldn't allow me to have sugar or, you know, the family was breaking up. There was a lot of unbalance that nobody Mm -hmm. was talking about. And I turned and ate a whole box of cold medicine because no one taught me how to have a feeling. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because again, my parents are like, well, if you want to eat a lot, eat a snack, eat the whole bag of snack welds versus like have a Hershey bar and enjoy yourself. Like it was just fucked. It was all endless then. I have gone to therapy. I don't blame my parents because guess what? I'm a fucking adult now. Yeah. I can figure this shit out myself. And I have, and I know we've talked before, but I have lost over 130 pounds and maintained <gasps> it. And not from dieting, by the way. It's oh. been through feeling work and thought work by yeah. addressing what am I feeling and what is the thought creating that? So I can then change or first understand the behavior I'm engaging in Mm -hmm. and then decide if I want to change that or not. That's Mm -hmm. very different from here's a list of foods I cannot and cannot eat. I have to eat at these times. I have to eat out of these containers. I can only eat within these points or I can measure it in this little weight. You remember those little things you can measure how much? And I was like, that's insanity at its finest, right? Like we cut a little piece of chicken and weigh it. Yeah, it's, (laughs) it's, crazy what we put ourselves through and we're really just putting band-aids on band-aids on the root of the problem which is we are human beings where we're supposed to feel negative emotion and positive emotion but we're told if you feel something bad you should just be more grateful or have gratitude in your gratitude journal or you should just think happy thoughts no bitch I'm fucking (laughs) mad about something and give me well how do I work through this without using food stop telling me to think well look at all the stuff you have that is not what we're doing today I am mad because I was triggered by something. I am frustrated because I my expectations weren't me. How do I process that and deal with that with or without turning to food, but feeling good in my decision and trusting myself to work through it and lose the weight? That's wow. it. Oh my God, it's so, so powerful. It feels like you should teach like in education. You should go into all the elementary and middle schools and like teach this because it's so important because I said, and you and I've talked about, it's like Mm -hmm. when that toxic positivity is killing us even more because when you not don't allow yourself to have negative feelings, sadness for no reason, like you could literally wake up and just be sad, but people are not okay with that. And I said, when you don't allow yourself to be sad, you actually 
delete even joy. When you don't allow one emotion, you eliminate all emotions. So for the longest time, I didn't know how to have joy because I, I wouldn't allow myself to have sadness. Yeah. So I always look at emotions. Like if you're looking like out, think of yourself like in the desert and you're looking at the horizon and it looks so far away and it's this horizontal line. It's not a, a value system, like a ladder, like the top is the best, the bottom's worst of emotions. There's a spectrum of emotion. And I've been thinking about this a lot. We we label emotions as negative, positive, good or bad. Yes. There are no good or bad. There's no positive or negative. I use those terms because that's what people understand. But I really want to change the conversation of there's desired emotion or there's undesirable emotion. There's mm. comfortable emotion or there's uncomfortable emotion. I am more comfortable feeling joy and excitement than I am frustration or overwhelm. That's yeah. it. But it's beautiful now, I bet even when you feel sadness or frustration, that you can right size it where it doesn't overwhelm you anymore, because you know, it's an emotion and you'll go through it. And it's not forever. For me, when I would feel sadness before my recovery, when I would turn to sugar or men are the things I Mm -hmm. did. That is because I felt like it was going to be there forever. There's this like doomsday whenever I feel sadness or frustration or not good enough where it was like, oh, I'm going to be stuck in this forever. And now I can say to myself, no, this is just right now. This is just for today. And I didn't I couldn't do that before. No, because judgment blocks learning Mm -hmm. and growth. So when we're judging ourselves for being human beings, for feeling disappointment, for feeling frustration, for feeling sadness, even if there's a valid reason in our minds or not, um, it blocks us from really processing the emotions so we can work through it. We then want to run to social media or substances like food, alcohol, drugs, to numb, to avoid, to resist. (laughs) And depending on what the substance is and who you are, I'm not here to speak on that, but do it in a way that you can still grow and move forward if you are going to indulge in that, whatever that is, or completely rid it out of your life if you can't handle it in small, moderate doses. Like I can't say no to food. That's not an option. I need food to survive. So I had to figure out how to eat M&Ms and still lose weight, how to eat that piece of cake and still lose weight, whether I was physically hungry or I just wanted it for whatever reason. Now, when you're talking about drugs or alcohol, that's a little different. You don't need that to survive, but, or you could, you know, have the conversation about social media. Well, how harmful is it? I don't know. You have to ask yourself that question. Well, for me, it's very harmful people just yeah. so you know. <laughs> yeah. For some people it is because it they're is. like, it's so, I, just I cannot... wasted... I cannot scroll. I will go into compare and despair immediately. Like I know but, I can't do it. But that's the beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Know thyself, people. Yeah. Stop worrying about everybody fucking else and what they're doing. Know your secrets. Know your truths. Figure I, out what works for you. Yes. And that's it. Okay, but I do have a question because I know the yeah. listeners are dying to know these things. So I okay. still want to go back. Can you yeah. say when you would overeat or in your past, was there any major trauma, little T or big T is what I call it, like little trauma, big trauma, that you realize amplified you gaining 130 pounds? You keep going to food instead of feelings. Did anything happen that affected that or is just the whole cultural family unit that just amplified it? 
Um, all of the above. And it was a big T. I grew up in a home where I had a sibling mm-hmm. who had some emotional and behavioral challenges. Okay. My mother was bipolar. My parents were in an unhealthy marriage. It was financially unstable for our family. There was a lot of little T's and big T's and nobody was processing them. No, it was just like a constant shit storm. Like it would kind of quiet down and then it would rain and it would quiet versus like, this is our issue. How do we problem solve? And my family was super open, like an open, like people always tell me you're so open. And I'm like, well, what's the alternative? And they're like, well, you don't have to share everything. And I was like, well, that's what my family has always done. But I also know how detrimental that can be because as a child, I knew how much money was in our bank accounts. I knew that we were struggling. I knew my parents weren't happy. Oversharing, oversharing. So sometimes that it seems very normal to me. And I'm like, oh shit, did I just overshare? Like, you know, but, but now I can recognize when it's appropriate or not, but I knew a lot of things as a child that my children don't know. Like my daughter asked me the other day, how much money do you have in a bank, your bank account? Mm-hmm. And you I said? said, well, I said, how much money do you have in yours? She goes, I don't know. I don't have a bank account. And she does. We opened up a savings for her, but she doesn't know. And I said, well, you know, if you don't know what's in yours, you shouldn't really ask people what's in theirs. <laughs> I love goes, it. Look at your boundary with your child. I love it. That makes me so happy. <laughs> And I said, and then I said that, and then I said, well, let's, let's further this conversation. Why do you want to know? I was very curious. And she was like, I'm just curious. I said, where have you heard, have you heard other kids talk about their parents' money? And she's like, yeah, I heard a friend say so-and-so and this and that. And I was like, okay, well, that's their family. Mm-hmm. You know, we are okay. Do you have everything you need? Do you have food? Do you have water? Do you have a bed? Do you have love? Yes. Do you have things outside of that? You could probably list 500 things that you have that you don't need minimum. So you're fine. So you don't have to worry. There's nothing to worry about. If you want to worry, worry on, you know, going to school and making something of yourself. Worry about when you feel sad, how you get over that. Like, and not worry, like detrimental worry, but like focus. I want to say focus, focus on the things that are important to you. Having fun as a kid. Yeah. You know, what do you want to learn? What do you want to do? What friends do you want to make? You know, what what's going on in your life? Worry about that. That's important. Not that. So we we kind of talked about that, but I thought that was super funny because I was like, I would never share that with my never. kids because it's none of our business. I but know. my parents were always like, we only have this amount of money in the account. We need to, and they would have these fights openly. And yeah. my husband and I, We've been together 19 years and we don't really fight. Like we have just made a rule that we can communicate. We are two adults. We can disagree. We can get frustrated. We can not see eye to eye, but there's no arguments. There's no screaming. There's no fighting because there's no point that if we're going to fight, we're not going to be married. That's just. No, but I, but I do my, it's so funny. My husband and I've been together almost, well, 17 and a half years. And everything you said about your family is exactly like mine. It's Mm -hmm. so funny how we are so similar, similar, yet so different. Like you turn to food and I turn to sex and love, but like, we are so similar that like thought about money, credit card debtors calling, like hearing about how we're about to be house they hated each other, all that stuff. And it was like, then it'd go quiet. 
And then you're like, yeah. what's going on? And then it get it get disruptive again at the end of the month when things are due. It was just mm-hmm. constantly on that roller coaster. But my husband and I do believe you have to communicate and have disagreements in front of a child, because but not fight. Like we don't fight Correct. either, but we show how to have healthy disagreements. And that, oh, and, yes. And even sometimes my son is like looking at us being like trying to fix it. And we said, no, mommy and daddy are discussing. This does not involve you, but here's how you have a clear communication. You know, it's it's yeah. just like, we are learning, but we didn't have that. We didn't have. No, no my parents just called names, slammed doors, didn't talk for days. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was normal where my husband, I'm just like, you know, I'm not feeling well today. And my head hurts. Do you mind, you know, maybe picking up some of my slack? I was planning on doing this. What can you put on your plate so I can go rest yeah. versus expecting someone to do that? Or they can read my mind. Like communication's everything. And it's if number you're with one. Them, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I and I I learned something um a while back about this concept of manuals is that we expect people to operate under these manuals, but that only like digs our own grave for us. Like you worry about your manual, let people do what they do. And if my husband said, no, my plate's full, then that's for me to figure out. It's not for me to expect him. Of course he would take things on because for me it's an important that I married somebody who was helpful and kind and thoughtful and not going to be like, well, that's your problem. Access service. Yes. Yes. But if so, if he did for whatever reason, you know, that's what it is. And that's his manual. And I'm not going to change that. What am I going to do? And I think we're so worried about what other people do and think, Mm -hmm. and we need to hone that in internally and focus on what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling. Is it something that's useful? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Yeah. Okay, go back. Literally, you and I could do a whole life session. I know, I know. Yeah. Yes, but let's go when the moment says like you thought enough was enough, like your bottom moment when you just like had that dark night of the soul. When was that? How old were you? So I've had many of those where I was just like, I'm not good enough and I will be good enough when I lose the weight. So I have to lose the weight. And I yo-yo dieted my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I've always tried to fix what the problem was which is my thought. And I think our problems are always our thoughts. Thinking, yeah, and, it's our stinking yeah. thinking is what I call stinking it. Stinking thinking, I love that. Mm-hmm. And it was the thought that I wasn't good enough, which still pops up always, but I know how to manage it a little better and not yeah. use food, um, which is a skill set. which I think if anyone can walk away from this episode is that managing your thoughts and emotions is a fucking skill set. It's it is. not an inherent characteristic nope. or worth. You just need to find the time and space and put a little effort into figuring out how to manage your thoughts and emotions. And there's many ways to do it. There's many approaches, try them, figure out what works, come up with your own vision and just do it because it is the most useful thing you can do for yourself and everyone around you. But anyways, I digress. So what really made me once and for all say, I'm never dieting again. This Mm -hmm. is complete and utter bullshit. I need to really look at the root of the problem was when um, I was, I I have two kids. My daughter is eight. My son is six. Mm -hmm. We tried for a third. I suffered a miscarriage around 14 weeks. um, And then I got pregnant again. And I suffered a fetal demise around seven months. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Thank you. And that was brutal. You know, Mm -hmm. you always hear horror stories like, 
the women who are in the hospitals who deliver the babies and they don't go home with them. That was me. That was like my worst fear. Mm. And I, something shifted. I just remember they told us the news that I, I went to the, the, my OB just for when you have to drink the diabetes water, you know, the, yes. the, I actually love it. People are like, that's disgusting. I was like, it's delicious. Can I drink more? I want the orange flavor, by the way. Like, of course. I think it tastes like Sunkiss. I'm the only person, by the You're way. You're the only person. I love I that. The only person. Every nurse is like, I'm so sorry. I was like, why are you apologizing? I'm looking forward like, to Can this. I get I love a, this a second shot, please? <laughs> right? It's, I'm the weirdest person. I'm like, yes, I'll take that. Um, so I went for my diabetes testing and you drink this supposedly horrible drink that I love. (laughs) And my doctor was looking for the heartbeat and she couldn't find it with the little ultrasound thing. And that was really common with me. Like I always, we always had a hard time. So I wasn't super nervous. And she goes, want to get you on the bigger machine. Just make sure before we do more, I just want, I have to hear the heartbeat before you leave. So we go and we see him on the screen and I just see him kind of floating in the womb. Like, and I was like, that does not look good. And I knew in that moment, but I was holding out and she goes, you need to go to the emergency room right now. Yes. I said, this is not looking good, but you need to go right now. I'm going to call labor and delivery emergency. You go there right now and whatever they can do, they can do that. And she asked, do you want a ride? Do you want an ambulance? Like, and I said, what do you need? And I said, I can get myself there. She goes, um, I'm going to have them confirm you're there. Cause I need to make sure you're safe. And she was, I love her to death, my OB. And I got there, my husband met me they did additional testing and they called the time of the death. So mm-hmm. in that moment, I remember I was like in utter shock and I was like, Oh shit, this is, this is happening. This is real. And, um, they told us we were going to have to deliver and they gave us a moment. And I looked at my husband and I just remember like the tears just poured out of me and I'm not a crier. Like mm-hmm. I, my parents were always the parents who were like, don't cry, stop crying. Right. And I never say that to my children. I say, it's okay to cry. Let it out. Your body's telling out, you something. Yeah. Let mm-hmm. it out. It'll feel good once you're done. Takes your t- as much time as you need. But my parents were always like, stop crying. Don't stop cry. crying. Yeah. It's like, it's too overwhelming for them. They can't take it. Yeah. Don't cry. They can't stop. handle it. You have no yeah. reason to cry. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. What This is stupid. This is a stupid reason. So I think I let out every tear I've been holding back for the past 30 some years because I'm not a crier and naturally. And so... um because I compartmentalize my feelings. And I just cried, like, I swear it was the shortest cry, but it was the most intense amount of tears I have poured from my eyeballs. And I said to my husband, like, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Like, I don't know if I'm okay. And he was like, that's okay. It's okay. We're not going to be okay together. That's okay. And I just was like, okay. And I just stopped. And then I knew in that moment, as soon as I let that out, something shifted. Like I can't explain it, mm-hmm. but something shifted. And I just knew things were going to be different after this because I think subconsciously, even though no doctor told me it that was the cause, yeah, I blamed myself because yes. of my weight. We always blame ourselves. Just so you know, every woman yeah. that has a miscarriage yeah. or loses a baby always blames herself. Whether they're thin or overweight, whatever it is, they blame themselves, of course. Yes, yes. So I blame myself. And then immediately after I delivered and came home and went into therapy, I was like, I'm going to pour my grief into my weight loss. And I did. And I started losing weight by dieting because that's the only way I knew. Yeah. Well, that's the only way society tells you to as well. Yeah. I, I didn't understand right away the thoughts and the feelings part. And I just went really hard into restrictive. Like I deserve this. 
Like I'm going to, you're going to suffer for this the way your son suffered. It was like this real fucked up shit. Right. And so for about a year, I did really restrictive dieting. I lost a good amount of weight. And then I finally looked at my husband. And I said, I don't think I can do this forever. Like, how am I supposed to eat a piece of cake? And he was like, yeah, I don't know. You should think about that. Because I was like eating no sweets, no flour, no sugar. Like I was really hurting myself. Like, yeah, no, I the life not, of an actress. Yeah. That's what you were doing. 24 yeah. yeah. seven. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. You need to suffer. And food was such a joy. So if I took that away, I would suffer. And I did. Yeah. Yeah, And then I, I really started healing when I said, okay, what is the root of the problem with food? You're going to relearn how to eat food and unlearn previous behaviors. What is the root of the problem? And it was my relationship with myself. Mm. And I realized I was using food to, like I said, avoid, resist, try to fix yeah. specifically negative emotion. And I started doing thought work. I started playing around with sitting with my feelings a little longer, identifying my feelings, locating them in my body, Mm -hmm. breathing through discomfort, all the things. And I was like, wow, I got through this. I'm getting better and better. And I'm still a work in progress and I'm still working on it. But I would say that the loss of my son, Max, was really that pivotal moment where I was just like, something has to give. And it started out as kind of dark. And detrimental to myself, but somehow along the journey, I knew I had to heal differently. I knew I, it healing myself from a place of hate can only suffice so long. Sustainable healing comes from love. Yeah. And so I knew I had to switch the narrative about that. And I just have to say, I'm like going to cry, but like, he, like, I always, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but your son, like, he saved your life. Like he's like oh, your angel. Like Max sure. is, was your angel. He gave you he that my angel. That moment. He gave me the best gift of my life. Which oh is my God, I'm the totally ability crying. to heal. <laughs> but Sorry. It's no, it's fine. It's I listen, I'm like the tears are in my eyes. I've cried so many times over this story. Yeah. But but the beauty is I think a lot of us think we have to have these really tragic moments to yeah. heal ourselves from our painful secrets. But you can heal yourself without it. You don't have to wait till that rope breaks. You don't have to wait. You can just be curious of what it would be like if you told yourself the truth. Yep. And not hide any longer what that would look like. What that what are you keeping from yourself? And that it's that little glimmer. It's that little moment when you're like, there's this awareness that comes that you're like, oh wait, what if I could do it different? You know? And it really comes from a place of vulnerability. Like Mm -hmm. I was scared to be myself. I was scared because I was a people pleaser. I was a perfectionist and I didn't, and I had a lot of shame and I didn't feel good enough and all the things. And I had this fake confidence about me and I lacked complete and utter vulnerability. And through this process of healing, I've learned to be vulnerable and not be perfect and not worry about what other people think. It does come up for me, but I know how to manage it because it's, it's old programming that I think I have glitches and it pops up and that's okay. But that's okay. Me too. It will pop up like every six months. I'll have this moment where I'm like, you're a loser. You're not good enough. You're an loser. And this Mm -hmm. is this voice. And I even go be like, there's that voice again. That's been that tape. That's not real, but you know, but you still have it because you, it's constant work. You always have to be, but it gets easier and easier as you do it and you maneuver through it and you Mm -hmm. figure it out. 
But that requires self-trust. And if we are using to avoid the believing in ourselves and avoid doing the work to trust ourselves, then how can we trust ourselves? Like we're in a vicious cycle. So I would just say to anybody listening, judgment blocks any learning. So and any growth. So if Mm -hmm. there is a secret that you want to change, if you want to change it, just be curious about the root. Don't go to the easy solution. Don't go to what you think is the quick fix because that's bullshit and it's a waste of time. If I would have just addressed the problem from the beginning, I wouldn't have spent 20 some years being an expert failed dieter, which thank God I was because that's what I do for a living is I coach. uh, I'm a wellness coach and I work on sustainable weight loss. But so it was a gift in the end. But still, like, I wouldn't have suffered for so long. I know. And that's where you have to tell people to find you because I know we're running out of time, but I want people to be able to find you if they need support, if they need coaching, hear more of your story. Where can they find you? Yes. So um, they can find me on my website, which is www.thegrowwellcoach.com because I believe we are all being alive is just about growing and growing well. And then we all die and it's over. And sorry, kids, that's just... And the, you don't take anything with you and your weight doesn't matter and no, the money doesn't none of matter. It matters. <laughs> so why not grow well and grow well in your way and in your vision and your look and not worry about what you think you should or have to do, do what you want to do. And then you can find me on Instagram or Facebook under um, Grow Well Coaching. Um, I'm, he- I'm more present on Instagram than Facebook, but either one, DM me love to help you. And listen, I help my clients with their wellness and we work on sustainable weight loss. But again, it's really going to the root of why you're eating. And I give you something to try to start because again, weight loss is trial and error. So if you still engage in the same behaviors, you're going to get the same result. So we just off the bat, I give you a very flexible plan. It's kind of like a container. You fill in the blanks. We start trying and why you start working on that we then start getting digging. into the coaching. Digging. We start digging into the shit that why you do the things you do. Dig through yeah. the shit is what I always say. Dig through the shit yeah. to get to your gold, right? Yeah, because yeah. um, we all have it. We have lots of gold. We are all treasure chests. Well, if you're on this planet, you're you're worthy, right? Yeah. You, you're, yeah. you're worth it. So, oh my God, we could literally talk forever. I feel like we have always. so much in common. Yes, yes, for sure. But I'll you, always come back on and talk. Please yeah. do. And I know yeah. you have your podcast too. So if anybody wants to listen, what is it called so they can tune in? Yes, I am currently a co-host on the Unscripted podcast. And I will be also venturing off into my new podcast, which I will have you on, which is the Grow Well podcast. And we're going to be talking about all things growth and transformation Mm -hmm. into wellness, whatever that looks like for people, whether it's through weight loss or sobriety. And um, I know we're running out of time, but I just want to say something to anyone who's listening and especially you. I am super inspired by your story with your addiction and your vulnerability. Um, my brother is a recovering heroin addict. And Mm. this is a man that I thought was not going to live to see 20. Mm. He is thriving. He is healthy. He is well, and he grew well in his own way. And let me tell you, people can change. Yes. That story that we can't change is utter bullshit. Total. You can change. It can be small. It can be big. It can be whatever you want it to be. There, so don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on other people. Just trust the process. Trust yourself and start to begin to trust the process. 
Oh, thank you so much for coming yes. on. Thank you for having me. I love this. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon. 